Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. listeners and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 139, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. As always, if you are a regular returning listener, welcome back to Verbal Diorama. And if you are a brand new listener to this podcast, thank you so much for being here, for choosing this podcast and for joining us for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which is amazing. Basically, no matter how you found this podcast, I'm so grateful that you did find this podcast. Because we are in the middle of animation season 2022. This is the third annual animation season that I have done. It's one of my favorite things to do on this podcast. I love live action movies. Don't get me wrong. I think they're all brilliant. And all of the movies that I've covered so far in this podcast are amazing in their own way. But there's something about animation. It's so pure. It's so visceral. It's the medium of movies that can literally be and do and become anything on screen. And I think that's why I love it so much. It's one of my favorite things that I do for this podcast because I get to fully geek out on animation and I get to talk about movies that, honestly, quite a lot of podcasts tend to overlook. So I like to talk about Disney and Pixar and all of that stuff, but I like to talk about other movies as well. And I also like to reiterate that 
Firstly, animation is not a genre. And also that animation is not and never will be just for children. However, this is very much a movie that is very suitable for children. It's very suitable for families. And it's a hell of a lot of fun. And I'm so excited to be talking about Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. But before I do, uh, a huge thank you to everyone who has listened to the previous, most recent episodes of this podcast. I've done episodes on The Prince of Egypt, Grave of the Fireflies and Anastasia. I mean, they're all very different movies, but Grave of the Fireflies was especially difficult to talk about. It's a movie that still haunts me very much. So to get like 18 minutes worth of an episode, I'm actually quite proud of because I was very, very close to tears at several points during that episode. But at the point of this animation season, I have not yet done any Disney or Pixar. But February on Verbal Diorama is going to be a little bit different because not only have we started the month with Anastasia and we're continuing with Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, Disney and Pixar are coming. And when I say I'm doing the big hitters, I am doing huge Disney movies. I'm talking about Renaissance Disney, which I have covered a Renaissance Disney movie in the past, a long time ago. I talked about Aladdin. I compared it to its live action version. But this time around, I am purely looking at the animated versions of Disney's biggest Renaissance movies. So there is some amazing stuff to look forward to. And I will be telling you all about exactly which ones I'm going to be covering at the end of this episode. And then there's going to be some Pixar stuff to ground out the month as well. But I'm just going to move on to Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs because there's a lot in this movie that hits home to so many podcasters. And that is, who needs the approval of one family member when you can have it from millions of acquaintances? The seventh movie this animation season is genuinely something that is so much lighter and brighter than pretty much all of the stuff that I've covered so far. Uh, there's bold colours, humour, food puns, jokes. I'll be honest, animation season was getting a little depressing. So I wanted to bolster it with something really fun and a return to verbal diorama for the always welcome Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. You may have seen a meteor shower, but I bet you've never seen a shower meteor than this. Have I mentioned on this podcast how much I love Lord and Miller? Well, I'm probably going to. A lot. Here's the trailer for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. My name is Flint Lockwood, and I've always wanted to invent something awesome. Heron Boulder! <laughs> ah! Flying car! He wants to be smart, but that's lame! But when my little town fell on hard times, all anyone could afford to eat were sardines. And because sardines are super gross... Gross! This was my chance to show everyone what I was made of. Conversion of water into food. I'm Sam Sparks. Looks like things in Swallow Falls are sardines. You know what you are, Flintlock Wood? A shenaniganizer. Why can't you be more like my son, Cal? Sup. Sup? And just when I thought my inventing days were over. It really works! I love it! Any way you want it! 
For the first time in my life, everybody loves something that I've done. May I please have waffles? Jello! Stay. Hi! Coming right up. Can you look me in the eye and tell me, son, you've got this under control and it's not gonna end up in a disaster? These are big hot dogs. I've got this under control and it's not gonna end in a disaster. Oh. oh. Mamma mia. The machine has a mind of its own. We are about to be in the epicenter of a perfect food storm. the machine. The fate of the world depends on me. No big deal. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs in mouth-watering 3D. You are about to be crushed by a giant corn. <laughs> Flint Lockwood wants to be seen as a genius, but none of the things he invented are things that make sense or are useful. When the community that he lives in is in an economic crisis because their primary source of income, a sardine cannery, was shut down, Flint decides to try his latest invention, a machine that can turn water into food. But something goes wrong, and the machine ends up in the atmosphere with Flint dejected. Then it starts raining cheeseburgers, and Flint realises he can make any food fall from the sky. When Flint senses something's wrong with the machine, the mayor convinces him to ignore it. Chaos ensues when the town becomes more and more greedy. Let's quickly run through the cast of this movie. It's an amazing cast for this movie, by the way. Bill Hader as Flint Lockwood. Anna Faris as Sam Sparks. Neil Patrick Harris as Steve. James Kahn as Tim Lockwood. Bruce Campbell as Mayor Shelbourne. Andy Samberg as Baby Brent McHale. Mr T as Officer Earl Devereaux. Bobby J. Thompson as Cal Devereaux. Benjamin Bratt as Manny. Al Roker as Patrick Patrickson. Lauren Graham as Fran Lockwood and Will Forte as Joe Town. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was written and directed by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller and based on Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs by Judy Barrett and Ron Barrett. The story of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs starts with the publication of a children's book in 1978 written by Judy Barrett and illustrated by Ron Barrett. The book happened to be Phil Lord and Christopher Miller's favourite book as children. What could be more cool to kids than a town where it rains food? But the book itself is devoid of two very important factors to this story. Basically characters and a story. It's literally just a town where it rains food. In 2003, Sony Pictures Animation announced their first animated slate of movies, which included Open Caesar, Tam Lin, which never got made in the end, and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs to be directed by the Britsy brothers, Paul and Gaetan Britsy, they were storyboard, concept artist and sequence directors on Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame and Tarzan, with Wayne Royce adapting the screenplay. In 2006, it was announced the Britsy brothers and Wayne Royce had departed the project and had been replaced by first-time writer-directors Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who at that point had been working on the project for some time. Have I mentioned how much I love Lord and Miller? No? Well, they are great. I've talked about them on this podcast a lot. Uh, and I probably will do, for many millennia in the future as well. And while at Dartmouth College, they developed a series called Clone High about a high school containing clones of well-known historical figures like Abraham Lincoln, Joan of Arc and Gandhi, which was shown on MTV between 2002 and 2003 in the US and Teletoon in Canada. It was cancelled by MTV after the depictions of Gandhi caused a bit of a stir in India. 
but you can't run away from your own feet, as this movie tells us. And Lord and Miller, in their first writing and directing gig, they had previously written Extreme Movie in 2008, which is apparently not very good, but I've not seen it. They were really excited at the prospect of taking on something so ripe, because food, with possibilities. I'm really sorry for any bad puns in this episode. They devised an idea that this movie, with all its food-based weather, was essentially a disaster movie. Now, if you think back to all the great disaster movies, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, Independence Day, basically anything by Roland Emmerich, and look at what they have. So there's usually a scientist who's warning you about impending doom. There's normally the police or a government official or someone in charge. There is normally a reporter who will report. <laughs> I don't know what else do reporters do, but report on stuff going on. And there's normally a buff action hero who's kind of there to save the day. But they thought, what about if the nerdy scientist was the hero of the story? And so in their original story, Flint Lockwood was going to work for a government department, the National Aeronautics and Space Bureau, but basically makes a huge mistake, is disgraced. And then one year later, he's living in a taco truck. And he basically spends the rest of the movie attempting to redeem himself. And this was the idea that they had. So they have this idea, they write this story, and they present this idea to Amy Pascal, the then head of Sony Pictures. And Amy Pascal, I've spoken about her several times as well. She absolutely hated this idea. And she hated this idea a lot. Uh, so Phil Lord and Christopher Miller got fired from the movie. And when I say fired, they got completely fired, possibly for being a shenanigaiser and a tomfool, but they got fired. And a new writing team was brought in to fix it. And they basically took out all the jokes. They created a new story and they reworked everything with a completely new crew. But, you know, stories in Hollywood, sometimes things happen, things change. And a year later, that team was also fired. And then in a really weird karmic turn of events, Sony rehired Lord and Miller to replace the writing team that had previously replaced them. But what they also did was they kept on the crew that the previous writing team had hired, which meant that there was a little bit of hostility when Lord and Miller returned to the project and everyone basically had to start again from day one. But rather than impose their will and ideas on the project for a second time, they basically say, this is what we're doing. You have to listen to us because we're in charge of this production again now. The first time directors, Lord and Miller, they took a step back and actually decided, well, let's ask the crew for their input on ideas. And what that did was that unleashed the creativity and experience of the team. And while it proved to be a rather chaotic experience, they ended up drafting a completely new script based on these team ideas and team innovation and team feedback. So the idea for Flint being a hotshot scientist became Flint being a failed inventor, someone who believes he can change the world but isn't quite given the chance to prove himself. This helped make the audience relate to him. But despite all these changes being made and the crew working on the movie loving it, thinking it was hilarious, they then had to present this to Amy Pascal once more. So what they did was they made an animatic, a selection of storyboards set to music to present to the big wigs at Sony. And so the crew were loving it. The jokes were really flying. Everyone was thinking this was amazing. And the head of the studio, Amy Pascal, was reportedly falling asleep, which <laughs> almost got Lord and Miller fired from the project again. As baby Brent himself would say, uh-oh, 
And it basically turns out that Amy Pascal was making a statement on the story. She didn't want it to be about abstractions. She wanted it to be about a relationship, a central core relationship to the movie to spur the protagonist on. It was fine to want to prove yourself, but to whom? And that was the most important thing that was missing from this movie. Lord and Miller and the entire team went back to the drawing board to start again. But at this point, they'd spent half the budget on a movie that they were no longer allowed to make. And they weren't going to get any more money to rework the movie again. So they actually came up with a rather ingenious way to add this character and add this relationship to a movie where the character and the relationship didn't actually exist. And that was by reusing the assets that they already had, such as existing character designs and environments. But the main issue was, where was this central relationship actually going to come from? And what they had and what they did was they ended up taking a minor character who Flint meets in the local tackle shop, a tall, portly, gruff, moustached man, and they made that character into Flint's dad, Tim Lockwood, and made the story about the fact that all Flint wants to do is make his dad proud of him, but his dad is rather old school and doesn't understand Flint's obsession with science because Tim comes from a community of sardine fishing. Tim knows sardines and fishing metaphors, but doesn't believe that Flint can make him as an inventor because they basically cannot communicate with each other at all. And with that, the central relationship grounding the movie becomes something you can actually relate to, either from a father-son aspect or as a parent-child aspect, or literally any person in a position of authority versus someone under their charge. The story was finally there, and the jokes and the visual cues and the puns just kind of fit around it. Sort of like when you go fishing and you throw your rod into the water, you wait for ages, you might catch a few boots, and then eventually and finally you catch a fish. And unlike Tim Lockwood, I am not here for fishing metaphors. Clearly, I am rubbish at those. But my point is, is that they carried on and look at what they made. It's really genuinely good and sweet and heartfelt and funny and bright and wonderful. And the look of this movie is a change from Ron Barrett's original illustrations. The filmmakers took inspiration from Miroslav Sazek, whose 1950s series of books, including This is Paris, This is London, This is New York, feature a graphic, modern, illustrative style, as well as taking inspiration from the Muppets. They wanted exaggerated poses to convey emotion, and that came with big eyes, big mouths, to convey those big expressions. They also wanted a transition for the gentrification of the town. They gave Swallow Falls to become Chew and Swallow, neutral colours, dirty textures. They made it messy with wires everywhere. And when the town is remade after Flint's invention makes it famous, everything's shiny and new, bright and colourful, but there's a disingenuous quality to it. It's purposely fake and prefabricated to just kind of show how fake the change actually is for this town. But the biggest stars in the movie, and there are some big stars in this movie. You've got Bill Hady, you've got Anna Faris, who I love, by the way. You've got Mr. T in this movie. No one, no one comes bigger than Mr. T. Anyone who grew up in the 80s and 90s knows exactly who Mr. T is, and he's a bit of a legend. But despite all these huge stars voicing these characters, the biggest stars in the movie had to be the food. Because not only did they have to replicate falling and bouncing food as it would behave in real life, but also real-life weather conditions like rain, sleet and tornadoes. Sure, the fact that it's a spaghetti tornado makes it completely absurd, but it still has to behave like a real tornado. The logistics fell to Rob Bredo, 
the film's visual effects supervisor, and the first step in creating these effects was to actually find out what food does in real life. So the filmmakers dropped food in front of time-lapse cameras so that the animators could study how food like cheeseburgers react when dropped from great heights. And to animate a fallen burger, for example, each part, you have the lettuce, you have tomato, pickles, onions, the burger itself, the bun surrounding it, had to be built separately in the computer. When that burger hits the ground, it could do many things. It could break apart or it could stay together or it could splat. You could get some ketchup on the ground or some mustard on the ground. And so they had different systems for different levels of detail. So background burgers might just hit normally, but the burgers right in front of the camera, they got special attention. And if you look at this movie very, very closely, which rather nerdily of me is something that I did in quite close detail, I was watching the cheeseburgers rain down to the ground and the level of detail in each burger as it falls, no two burgers fall apart in the same way. And that's a real level of detail there because it would be so easy to just have burgers falling to the ground and landing in the same manner. But this movie actually takes the time to animate all these different ways that a burger could fall apart. Additionally, there is no five-second rule in this movie. <laughs> there is very bad food sanitation in this movie because people pick stuff up off the street and they eat it. It's pretty gross. So basically, kids, don't eat food off the floor in real life. It's fine in a movie, but don't do it in real life. Anyway, back to food weather. They even studied actual tornadoes and the physics of tornadoes and the physics of what would happen if a tornado was made out of spaghetti? And spaghetti is genuinely one of my favourite foods of all time. I love spaghetti. I really love spaghetti and meatballs. I'm actually going to be having it for dinner tonight in honour of this episode. I'm not even joking. But the spaghetti twister is one of my favourite things in this movie because it's so detailed. Literally every strand of spaghetti moves in its own way. It's really, really intricate. Some of Ron Barrett's original ideas did translate over to this movie such as the giant jelly mold, which I'm going to be coming to shortly, a giant pancake settling over a school, and sandwich sailing ships. They're all inspired by the original Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs novel, which is a nice little nod to the original novel. But one of the things I've kind of talked about a lot on this podcast when I've talked about other Sony Pictures animated movies, and one of the things I love about Sony Pictures image works specifically is the innovation that they keep coming out with. And Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs used new animation rendering software called Arnold that Sony created in-house. Lord and Miller explained that one of the great advantages of Arnold is its automatic creation of bounce light. Other studios use software that forces them to artificially create bounce light by adding a secondary light source to make the scene look real. Uh, this is something that Renderman, which is a software that Pixar uses, does. But that technique could have become quite tedious in the case of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs when light had to bounce everywhere inside objects like a gigantic jelly mold, or when light had to hit every angle on the tons of massive food objects that fall to the ground. Until that point, animated films were lit with separate lights falling on each of the separate pieces in the frame, then rendered together. The process worked, but was labour intensive. With Arnold, lighting mimics live action photography. Rather than points of light, animators can use area lights. And instead of simply capturing the direct illumination, Arnold allows them to capture the light that reflects off an object. And originally the scene with the jelly, aka Jello, we call it jelly. I'm going to call it jelly 
guys. But when I say jelly, I mean jello, not jam, because that's really important <laughs> for American listeners. We say jelly, you say jam, you say jello, we say jelly. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But yeah, jelly, aka jello. So that was set outside the jelly originally. And it was editor Robert Fisher Jr. who suggested that rather than the characters stay outside the jelly, what would actually be like if these characters went into the jelly? And how cool was that idea for a scene where you could have two characters in this jelly with refracting light and everything moving with the consistency of a solid liquid viscoelastic polymer made out of polypeptide chains? It's the most detailed environment that Sony Pictures Imageworks had ever created at that point. And additionally, this was only the second movie to use Arnold after 2006's Monster House. This is a movie where innovation was right at the very core. And it's a movie that I think does not get the credit that it deserves for that innovation. Because I think the credit for this innovation for Sony Animation specifically would come a lot later with later movies like the Lego movie and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and the Mitchells versus the Machines. And basically all of those movies that I've covered. But another thing Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs did was it took full advantage of 3D. And 3D was a huge craze at the time. This was obviously 2009. And the idea of food-based weather seemed like the perfect 3D experience. I have not seen this movie in 3D. However, I can imagine it actually looks quite good in 3D. There are also some really cool Easter eggs in this movie as well, including Flint's lab being inspired by Wardenclyffe Tower an experimental wireless transmission station designed and built by Nikola Tesla and located in Shoreham, New York between 1901 to 1917. And in a blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameo, the Philosophifer also appears in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as well. But despite the bright colours and cartoonish animation, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs actually delves into some rather serious topics. There's childhood bullying and insecurities, sexism in the workplace, waste culture, greed and excess, as well as humanity's environmental predicament. There's only so much you can hide behind a huge dam or under the ground in landfill before it starts to cause an environmental problem. And again, I think this movie is so vastly underrated because people look at it, they see something bright and pretty and colourful and adults specifically dismiss this movie. And this is going back to the mantra that I said at the beginning, a lot of people think that animation is just for children and they'll take a movie like this as an example of that and say, well, this movie is bright and colourful and it's appealing to children. Well, yes, that is true. It is appealing to children. But there's some really interesting themes in this movie that if an adult actually sits and watches it, that I think are actually really, really apparent. It's got a very, very positive moral message to this movie. And just, I just think it's wildly underrated and it's one of the reasons why I really wanted to cover it this animation season. One of the things that I like to do every week on this podcast is I like to do something called the obligatory Keanu reference. That is basically me trying to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves because why not? And this was actually really, really easy. Obviously, Keanu starred in most excellent homoerotic thriller Point Break, which is fantastic, by the way. And one day you will come to this podcast. But he starred in that alongside Patrick Swayze. And also Gary Busey. And Gary Busey's character famously requests delicious meatball sandwiches. And he very famously says, Utah, give me two. So that is the easiest way for me to link him to this movie. Because this is cloudy with a chance of meatballs. 
and he gets Gary Busey's character meatball sandwiches. Easy peasy. The music of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was by the always wonderful Mark Mothersbow. I've spoken about him so many times on this podcast. I love his music. I love his scores. So he composed the score to Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which also had a promotional single out by Miranda Cosgrove that was called Raining Sunshine. But otherwise, there's not really much else to say about the music in this movie. So I'm going to move on to the release of this movie. So it was released on the 18th of September 2009 in the US. The same weekend as Verbal Diorama episode Stablemates, Jennifer's Body. It also came out the same week as The Informant and Love Happens. But Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs took the number one spot with $35.4 million in its first week. And it would only drop 14.6% in its second week to remain at number one. And this was a movie that was made on a $100 million budget. It grossed $124.9 million domestically in the US and $118.1 million overseas for a total of $243 million. A fiscal year-end 2011 budget PowerPoint presentation acquired by the Sony Pictures hack would reveal that Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs turned a profit of $6 million and that 63% of ticket sales came from 3D showings, which is quite interesting. And as I say, at the time, 3D was a bit of a craze, so it makes perfect sense that over half of the tickets were for 3D. Critically, I mean, this movie was critically praised for its quirky humour and its comedy slapstick. Awards-wise, it would be nominated for four Annie Awards as well as a Best Animated Feature Golden Globe, but it would come away from all of its nominations empty-handed. And obviously there is a sequel to this movie. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller would return in an executive producer capacity for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, which was released in 2013. I have seen it once. I haven't seen it as many times as I've seen this movie. I'd much prefer this one, but I didn't dislike the sequel at all. The majority of the cast returned for that, except for Mr. T, who was replaced by Terry Crews. A hand-drawn animated TV series premiered in 2017, with none of the cast reprising their roles. That lasted for two seasons. And a video game tie-in also came out for the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, Nintendo Wii, PSP and Windows. Let's move over to some social media thoughts. So I'd like to know what people think of the movies that I cover. I will give you my thoughts a little bit towards the end of the episode. But what does everyone else think? We'll start with the patrons. And we're going to start with perennial commenter Andy. And Andy says, Cloudy with a Chance of Meat Wars is the first truly great film made from Sony Animation. A clever, funny film that appeals to both kids and adults with its rapid-fire humour and fantastic visuals. And I mean, how can you go wrong when you've got Bill Hader and Andy Samberg in the same film? It's really not hard to see that Sony could get into the Spider-Verse after such a fun outing. And you're absolutely right. Bill Hader and Andy Samberg are especially fantastic in this movie, as well as Arna Faris, who's always awesome. Andy Samberg, I didn't actually know it was him. It took me a long time to realise it was Andy Samberg in this movie. Baby Brent just sounds nothing like him. But anyway, as I said, Andy is a perennial commenter on this podcast. He comments pretty much every episode. And if you want to find out more about him, you could pop over to his podcast, which is called Geek Salad. And you could check out over 200 episodes of Geeky Nerdy Greatness. I love that podcast. I listen to it frequently. So maybe you should have a listen to it too. I'll put some information in the show notes for Geek Salad. And we also have a patron comment from Scott who says, Random fact, the only reason I saw Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs in the first place is because my local library put the disc in with another CD I was borrowing. I loved it so much, I kept it. 
endlessly quotable, me and the kids still often order cheeseburgers. He says, go on and do the voice. I can't do voices. I'm sorry. Cheeseburger, cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers. I don't know. A voice cast to die for and is well overdue a rewatch. Love it and nobody says, Flint Lockwood, quite like Mr. T. Go and empty the voice again. I can't do Mr. T's voice. Flint Lockwood? No, that's terrible. Don't make me do voices again, Scott. Please don't make me do voices. <laughs> you should know by now, Scott. I can't do impressions. But Scott also has a podcast. So he is one of the hosts of the Monkey See, Monkey Review podcast. They basically love to wax lyrical about film and the joy of watching film. And they are such a lovely bunch of guys. So I will also put information in the show notes for Monkey See, Monkey Review. And I will not be doing any more impressions of Mr. T or anyone. And we have another patron comment from Brendan who says, While it's not quite as polished or as thematically and visually dense as later efforts, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is still a showcase of Dynamo Duo, Phil Lord and Chris Miller's already considerable talents as writers and directors. You can see the shapes of what will later find their way into masterpieces like the Lego movie or into the Spider-Verse, adding surprising weight to its culinary fantasy and as a joke delivery system, it packs as many laughs per minute as the funnier Pixar's. We also have a patron comment from Ian who says, It's a fun film. I remember my son really liking this. And the final patron comment is from Simon Brew. Now, Simon Brew doesn't normally comment on my tweets asking for comments. However, I have to mention the fact that his comment is as follows. <laughs> Sorry, it just makes me laugh. Simon said, did you see this at Philip Lord? It was terrific. That was his comment to the writer and director of this movie, Phil Lord. And Phil Lord actually did reply. Now, I'm not going to go through the conversation that I had with Phil Lord, because to be fair, it was really tiny and it was just a couple of messages back and forth. But actual Phil Lord commented on my tweet. How amazing. I got to have a little conversation with him. He was really cool. I was pretending to be cool. Inside, I was screaming a little bit because I don't know if you can tell, guys, but I am a huge fan of Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. And so, yeah, I just had to give Simon a bit of a shout out because he tagged Phil Lord. And because of that, Phil Lord actually spoke to me, even though it was virtual. But, you know, I'm going to be dining on this for the rest of my life. I spoke to Phil Lord. <laughs> so that's awesome. We've still got more comments to come. That's not the end of the comments. We've still got some Twitter comments. Maybe I should have included Phil Lord in the Twitter comments, but I haven't because Phil Lord, man. <laughs> anyway, so moving over to Twitter, we have at Harry Met Movies who said, Great film and one of the rare occasions that a sequel maintains the same level, full of jokes and some great performances. At Stungoat75 said, my introduction to the crazy minds of Lord and Miller and have been a fan ever since. There are so many jokes in this film, you miss some as you are busy laughing at the previous one. At Cloval 6 said, Okay, but these two movies are the only new age animated films that matter. Everything ever done after is irrelevant. Not quite sure about that, but maybe only the other Lord and Miller stuff after. I don't know. And finally, at Wachowski Lesser said, I remember going to that film when I was 11 years old and thinking it was such a beautiful animated film. Love and have been hugely inspired by every film Lord and Miller has done, even back then. No comments over on Instagram or Facebook, but to be honest, I don't even care because 
I had a conversation with Phil Lord. So I promise I'm not going to mention it again. That's it, me done. Phil Lord, though. I love this movie so very much. I think it's so wonderfully underrated, as I've said. And I can relate so hard to Sam Sparks in this movie. And it's not just the fact that I just adore Anna Faris in anything and everything, because I really genuinely do. I think she's awesome. But I grew up being told looks were important and having insecurities from wearing glasses and, and also from being too smart. Now, I'm not suggesting that I'm the sharpest tool in the box here, but this is a complex that a lot of women have because we were never allowed to be smarter than the boys. And especially if you're a pretty girl, because you can be either smart or pretty, but you're not allowed to be both. And that's something that really, really winds me up. The animation in this movie is retro and wonderful. And the location is undescriptive enough for it to be any small town in America. But it also leans back to a simpler time. Before the world's reliance on fast food. And the resulting problems that you get with fast food, such as waste and obesity. It's kind of a little bit the view before the storm. If you know what I mean, I don't even know if that makes sense. But anyway, this movie is genuinely so much deeper and thematic than people realise. There's the positive influences of science and creating and following your dreams, but also somehow how that can pave the way for destruction. There's so much foreshadowing for future Lord and Miller work in here, including a father who doesn't quite understand his son's power and strength, much like in Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. But here you need a monkey translator for the dad to open up about his feelings. There's some strong hints as well for the forthcoming Lego movie, which I've also done on this podcast and I love. Honestly, there's so much brilliant stuff in this movie. I really do think that people actually need to give this movie a chance if they've not seen it. Or if you haven't seen it recently, please go and rewatch this movie. You could say this movie is comfort food. And it is to a degree because it's colourful and fun and it fills you up. But it's comfort food that's also got healthy stuff in it like fruits and vegetables. The underlying moral story of this movie that we need to stop being so demanding of our environment. Otherwise, it'll bite us on the bum. It's so obvious watching it in retrospect. All of the truly great animated movies have something for everyone. Bright colours and fun set pieces for the children and humour for the adults. But considering the production troubles this movie had, it almost doesn't deserve to be as good as it is. It does, though, and it proves that sometimes you just need to not only keep at something, but get people creatively involved, which is probably something I could do with actually taking my own advice on, but then podcasting is very different to making a movie. Cloudy with a Chance of Meeples will probably never be in anyone's top 10 animated movies. Mostly because since this, Sony Animation has flourished and created genuine works of art. But this was one of their first, and it's also one of their best from these early days. And without it, there's so much awesome stuff we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have the Lego movie, we wouldn't have Spider-Man as the Spider-Verse, and we wouldn't have the Mitchells versus the Machines. And so for that reason alone, I am incredibly grateful for this movie. As I keep saying, I think I've said it several times already on this podcast, keep your eye on Sony. Disney and Pixar might be the stalwarts of the medium right now, but Sony are out there innovating and bringing truly original and brilliant things to screen. Officially, they started with Open Season and Surf's Up, but their real legacy started with Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And have I told you how much I love Lord and Miller? No? Do I need to put on the monkey thought translator? Because I will. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And you could not only get involved with this podcast, you could also help it grow and reach more people. The power 
is yours. To get involved and have your comments read out in episodes, simply comment on the thoughts posts that go up on social media. They usually go up on a Saturday. Leave your comment and I will read it out. And it's really that simple. If you want to help this podcast out and help it grow, you could leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast, on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Spotify, basically wherever. You could go onto social media. You can like and retweet posts. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And the easiest thing you could do as a listener is just simply tell someone about this podcast, especially if they're a huge fan of animation, because there's a lot of animation on this podcast. And speaking of animation, if you like this episode or Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, you might also like one of the following previous episodes of this podcast. So I have gone for very specific Sony <laughs> animated movies. I'm going to start with episode 27, After Christmas. Now, this is an Aardman movie. It was distributed by Sony. And After Christmas is a wonderful little movie. Again, it's so underrated. People don't give it the time of day, but really you should because it's a lot of fun. And a great movie for Christmas. You know, the title gives it away. Episode 31, The Lego Movie. Because again, it's so brilliant. There's so much good stuff in The Lego Movie. It is not what you think it will be at all. It's not just a sellout for toys. There's so much more to it than that. Episode 32 came after the Lego movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is my favourite Spider-Man movie of all time. And there's so many reasons for that. Not just because it's an animated Spider-Man, but also the visuals, the story, the characters, the voices, the music, everything about that movie just works. And again, Lord and Miller. This is why I love them. And episode 104, The Mitchells versus The Machines, because, again, so fantastic. I love that movie. It was my favourite movie of 2021, for good reason. As always, give me feedback. Let me know what you thought of my recommendations. Now, I did say I would give you some information on the next episode. So next episode, you don't get one, you don't get two, you get three episodes, because this is for the third birthday of this podcast. And previous birthday episodes of this podcast have included a season on Studio Ghibli, where I did Spirited Away and Hell's Moving Castle and My Neighbour Totoro. And I've also done Gold and Silver and Bronze Age Disney. Last year, I did Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and The Jungle Book and Robin Hood. And this year, I am tackling Renaissance Disney. So you can expect episodes on The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and The Lion King. Yep, I am tackling the biggest Disney movies of the Renaissance period of Disney. Movies a long time coming to this podcast. Movies that shaped our childhoods. And you'll get them all in a three-day period. Starting on Tuesday 15th of February with The Little Mermaid. Followed by Beauty and the Beast on Wednesday 16th of February. Concluding with The Lion King on Thursday the 17th of February. It's going to be a huge bumper week for the birthday of this podcast. So... I look forward to you coming back for all three of those episodes. And Verbal Diorama is completely free and it always will be completely free. But if you did want to support the show financially, you can absolutely do so. You can go to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon and you can sign up like the wonderful patrons of this podcast have done. They are Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart and Ian D. 
Steve. Steve's not a patron. I just wanted to say Steve. <laughs> just to be clear. Steve's not a new patron. I also have a new merch store, which has just relaunched. That is at verbaldiorama.com slash merch. And you should go if you are a big fan of The Mummy 1999, because the first collection available at my new merch store are t-shirts based on The Mummy. So please have a look. Please support this podcast and please buy a t-shirt if you really, really want to. You can email me, you can say hello, you can give me feedback, verbaldiorama at gmail.com or you can pop over to verbaldiorama.com. And also, I still do stuff for film stories. You can check out the magazine, you can go online, filmstories.co.uk, where I write articles and stuff. And finally... Well, those cheeseburgers were only the beginning because a breakfast system is on its way to Swallow Falls. My forecast? Sunny. Side up. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Everything looks yeah. wonderful is what I feel. And we're together, brighter than a lucky penny. When you hear the rainbows disappear, dear, and my life is sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Now that's what I call pull tree in motion. Join in. Everybody, sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is sure to come your way. Mr. Lockwood, may I please have waffles? Falafel? Jelly beans! Avocado! Coming right up! Leftovers? Not a problem with Flint Lockwood's latest invention, the Out of Cider. So named because it catapults uneaten food out of sight. Therefore, out of mind. Bye.